Amen. So if you don't know me, what is a great way to get to know me? Coffee. What? Coffee. Coffee. Amen. Amen. I'll see you. I'll see you tomorrow at nine. <laughs> Coffee. Amen. If you're all watching online, you can't hear. Coffee was the answer, and that is absolutely true. The second best way, though, would be to talk to the people that know me, right? Coffee. Well, maybe that's both, right? All right. But if you want to get to know me and you can't get to me, one of the best ways for you to get to know me would be to go talk to the people that know me, right? You could talk to my wife, you could talk to my kids, you could talk to my sister, you could talk to my parents. There are ways to get to know me, first-hand accounts of what I'm like without ever meeting me. And we do this all the time, right? If you want to get a job, you're going to turn in an application and on the bottom of that application, you're going to give what? References. Because if we don't know you and we want to get to know you, we need some other way to figure out who you are. And I love that because as we start a new book of the Bible today, the book of James, perhaps the most important clue that we have as to why this particular book matters is right here in verse 1. Look, look at what verse 1 says. It says, James, this is the guy who wrote the book, says this, James, a servant of God. Some of your translations are going to have a better translation than that and are going to say, a slave of God. James, a servant or a slave to God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad in the dispersion. He says, hi. Why is that so important? James was the half-brother of Jesus. And for all of Jesus' life, as he walked on the face of the earth for those first 33 years, James and all of Jesus' family, really, except for Mary, she got a special message at the beginning telling her who Jesus was, but all of his brothers and sisters did not believe that Jesus was who Jesus was claiming to be. And we get that, right? Like I have an older sister. She's two and a half years older than me. And her name is Stephanie. If I had been walking around, like let's just put it in terms of Jesus. If, if when I tur had turned 30, I started walking around town telling people I'm God. How do you think Steph would respond to that? She would rightly think I was nuts. And so would you. Can you imagine writing a letter to a group of people and being like, my brother, I am your slave. <laughs> we don't do that, right? One of the great, that really, really truthfully, one of the reasons that the Bible is so reliable is because of stuff like this. Because here you have the brother of Jesus, historically accurate. We know James. He's a leader, a pastor in a, the church in Jerusalem. We, we have record of this guy. And he comes and writes that somewhere in that 33rd year of Jesus' life, as he went to the cross and died and then rose back to life on that first Easter, James the brother of Jesus, 
was transformed. And suddenly, that brother who was so perfect growing up. Anybody have a sibling that was perfect growing up? Nobody? I was the perfect sibling. Steph, if you watch us online, you know that's true. And actually, we we argue about it from time to time. And if the shoe fits, it fits. But Jesus would have been that kid. Right? Jesus would have been that. Can you imagine growing up with a literal perfect sibling? Never got in trouble. I mean, Jesus never sat in time out, probably. I mean, that's crazy. And here's James... I mean, there, there's one there's one recorded story in the Gospels where Jesus was walking around doing ministry and the people were like, who is this guy? Isn't that, isn't that Mary's son when he carpenter? And, and, and the family literally comes and is like, yeah, we're, we're going to take Jesus home now because <laughs> he's crazy. Right. And and that was what they thought until that hinge point of history. Right. Where Jesus goes to the cross, pays the penalty for your sin and mine. And not just that, but rises that you might have life. He goes from death to life. And that is the hope that we have. And so James comes and he says, now now I'm not even your brother. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. And I'm so happy about that. And so we start this book. And often, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of James is often saddled wrongly with this description of being only about work. Right. So one well, the thing that separates the Bible and the God of the Bible from really every other religion in the world, including a lot of Christian religions. So they would call themselves is this idea that not only. Can you not work your way to heaven But without outside help, you don't stand a chance. So, so not, not only are we not going to tell you what to do here at Redeemer City Church, we're, we're, we're also going to say that there's nothing you can do. And that that levels the playing field of life completely. And it's in that place that Jesus came to this earth and went to the cross so that you could have life. And so that's the difference between the God of the Bible and every other religion is that he saw you and your need and didn't tell you what to do, but he came and did it. That's really what the good news of the gospel boils down to, is that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And in fact, as a result of that, there's nothing in this life that will satisfy the longing in your heart for what is just outside of your reach. And so James writes this book and what's really important is that James is often attributed this idea that now that you've gotten the gospel, now that you understand salvation, that you can move on and really get your hands dirty and really get to work and really start the obedience process and nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to drop down to verse 17 and 18 and just briefly look at this before we read through that first part of the book. Because here's what James in his own words says. He says, well, back up to verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. <laughs> 
Don't be deceived because every good and every perfect gift is from above. Everything is from above. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And then listen to this. Who does not change. Whom there is no variation. There is no shadow due to change. There's nothing in this life outside of Jesus that will always be true and always be there and never change. It will always be that way. And then look at this. Of his own will. Of his own will. He brought us forth. I love this. By the word of truth. That we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is a book about the gospel. James is a book firstly about what God has done and will now turn and do in you. Last week or two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of adoration and this idea that our vision goes up and that our first love is Jesus. And then last week, Zach came and, and began to talk to you about and pull the curtains back on what it looks like when Jesus comes into your life. What it looks like when you are given the right and you become worthy of being a son or daughter of God. That everything begins to change and this process of transformation starts to take place. Because once your vision goes up and Jesus comes in. Things begin to change and James is a book about what happens when those things begin to change. What does faith on the ground looks like? I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, uh, works will never save you, but a saved person will always work. <laughs> right? Another, another writer said it this way. Grace will always evidence itself in your life. If grace goes in. And it really has and you have an understanding of what exactly God has done inside of your life. It will always come out. Think about it this way. If you were a cup and you were filled up with the Holy Spirit of God and somebody bumped into you and you spilled out on them, what would spill on them? When grace goes in, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, that is the thing that overflows on to others and so resurrection and rebirth are what we actually need think about it in the climate that we're in right now we need resurrection and rebirth we don't need policies and politicians gonna get an amen in church today now listen you should still go home this week and do your research and open your Bible and have them next to each other and ask, what does the Spirit of God want for His people in this political season? And then you should pray and fast and seek the face of God and then make a vote. Am I making sense? See, because if we just go by our own ideas, we're going to miss the mark completely. This is important because this says that God does not change like the shifting shadows of our culture and of our world. I can promise you this. When you turn the TV on, you're not getting 100% truth 100% of the time. But when you open 
This book, you're getting 100% truth 100% of the time. You will always know the heart and will of God every single time you open this book. It does not change like our world changes. And so you should do what you're supposed to do as a citizen of your country. But let me just tell you this. Come January 1st, we're still going to be a broken nation in need of a better savior than the one we elected. No matter who gets elected. We will still need help from outside of ourselves. To fill the void that's within ourselves. And that doesn't negate our need to stand in that gap now. But let's not get our priorities mixed up in knowing what will actually bring hope, help, and healing to the world that we find ourselves in. James is the brother of Jesus. He's a pastor at the church in Jerusalem. An urban church and he writes this letter he writes this sermon to this group of people that has been scattered all over the place look at verse 2 it says consider it a great joy or no back in verse 1 i'm jumping ahead look at this it says to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings so all these people all these christians who were part of the same church are being persecuted, and so they begin to flee. And it's one of the ways that God actually grows his church. God's not necessarily all in favor of growing one church in one location, but all churches as one church in every location. This is the plan of God. Not that, not that one person would stand in front of a large group of people and that they would begin to idolize that person, but that that one person standing in the front would say, I'm not the guy, but I know the guy. And that no matter where you find yourself on the face of the earth, that God's people might be there to be with you. So this letter comes to us in perfect providence, doesn't it? <laughs> How do, we, how do we walk by faith in this life? How do we live and move in Jesus? How do we embody the mission of Jesus when our vision goes up, when we love God, when we fall in love with God and we realize that he is in love with us? What does that look like on the ground? Because when good news invades our hearts in all the best ways that it does with the Holy Spirit... Our love for Jesus and his word will grow. And then we'll begin to embody the mission of God. That's why Jesus prayed this way. He said, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What does that look like? It looks like the people of God being on the mission of God. I love that. So he's in us. And as we look to him and abide in him and he begins to transform us. Things begin to change. Peace begins to come. So if you like taking notes, I'm going to give you a sermon title. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you five things to write down. All right. But if you're taking notes, the sermon title for today is this. The gospel of works. <laughs> you're like, you just explained for the past 10 minutes why it was not a gospel of works. Stick with me. Let's just call it a cliffhanger and we'll see where we land. All right. But the gospel of works, because the entire book is grounded, rooted in this idea that the gospel is a gospel of works. 
And let me go so far as to say this in our language around here. You won't flourish in your life until you're grounded in this idea, until you've sunk roots deeply into this idea that the gospel is a gospel of works. Now, don't walk out. Don't click off if you're online. I'm not a heretic and I'm going to prove it in just a second. But let's let's dive in here and just read from James himself. Let's listen to what he has as he's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says this, Consider it great joy, verse 2, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Some of your translations are going to say patience, or it's going to say works patience. Anybody ever pray for patience? <laughs> Don't pray for patience, because then you're going to get it, and it's going to be painful. All right. No, you should pray for for patience, but just know that it's coming. All right. And then listen to this in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be, I love this, mature and complete. How about this? Anybody want this today? Lacking nothing. I mean, these are these are the outlandish promises of the gospel that you that that it is actually a real place in this life right now that you could lack nothing wow verse five now if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith without doubting Man, we just keep hitting the things that we struggle with, don't we? For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind, that that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. You have an enemy in this life and your enemy is not Jesus. It's not the things that Jesus has put in his word for you. He's not out to make your life miserable. He's out to offer you Joy is what this says. I love that. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Then we come to that thesis statement of the book. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The gospel of works, good works. Following Jesus is all about good works. Listen to me. Are you listening? Are you listening online? Just not ours. If you want to write something down, you should write that down. That's tweet worthy. Maybe we need some good news on Twitter right now, huh? <laughs> yes. Think about that. The gospel is a gospel of good works, just not ours. It's about his work. Faith, listen to me. Faith is about his work in for us and then in us which supernaturally compels us to then go with Jesus into our city. There's a huge difference and the vast majority of Christians do that backwards. We go in and we try to do things and change things and get things done and the problem is there was a group of people like that that come to Jesus in the parable that he says and they stand before him in heaven and they say, God, look at all the things that we've done for you. They say, God, we even, we even cast demons out of people in your name. And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you because it's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do and has done and what he's going to do through you. The gospel is a gospel of good works, but it's all about what he's doing through us, not what we're doing for him. And that might sound like semantics to you, but it's the difference between you burning out and finding out that that was never what God intended for you. Then it is if you would abide in Christ and he in you, because John fifteen five says apart from him, you can do nothing. Not a little bit, not more than your neighbor, nothing. That when you stand before God, it's about what he's done and is doing in the world. And so we go with Jesus into our neighborhoods with the same vision that Jesus had for us and we have for others. Freedom in Christ. And so your vision has to go up first because if you've not been set free, you can't bring freedom to other people. Very important. And so James, verse 16, 17, and 18 here is really the thesis of this letter. But listen, it's the thesis of the entire Bible. It's the thesis of the entire Bible, the entire storyline of Christianity. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is on a trip to Athens in Greece and he's standing amidst all the scholars in the Areopagus, it's called. You can Google it later if you want. But he's talking to these really smart people and Paul was a smart guy and he's standing there and he's looking around at all the different uh, gods and idols and all the people that are being worshipped and he comes to this one and it says to the unknown God and he seizes the opportunity and he says, Brothers and sisters, I, I can tell you who this unknown God is. And he begins to tell them using, listen to this, using a line from one of their ancient writings to explain what God is doing. Because everything is made by God. That line in Acts chapter 17 says that it's in, in him 
We live and move and have our being. And that was the thing that they were searching for. And that was the thing that they couldn't quite put their finger on. And Paul comes in and says, that hole in your heart, that longing in your soul is to be filled by this one called Jesus. And I would just say to you, no matter where you're at right now, like, listen, where every one of us is really good at, like, we get dressed up, we come to church and we do all the things. But at the end of the day, each one of you know that within your heart, there's something that has to be filled by something that you can't do. All of us, depression rates higher than they've ever been. Suicide as high as it's ever been. Medication high as it's ever been. Why? Because we, when you have nowhere to look in the midst of a pandemic and a political dumpster fire, you got to have something else. You got to have something else. That something else, as Paul told them when he was standing in that place in Athens, that, that thing that you're looking for has a name and his name is Jesus. And so that's the foundation that we build our life on. We are creatures, not the creator. All things come from him and we live and move and have our being. And so what is life? <laughs> what is life then? James tells us right here. He says, consider it joy, great joy, whenever you experience various trials. What is life? It's various trials. That is life. My favorite were all the sermons at the beginning of the of 2020. 2020 vision. It's going to be your best life ever. <laughs> Worst sermon ever. Now listen, I'm I'm I've been doing this a long time, so we could spin it and be like, we didn't know it would be a trial, and it's good, and it's yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about. Because the reality is, this isn't our best life ever. The Bible tells us that we're aliens here, that we're citizens of a different country, and that why we're here is to point people to the one who can make the difference that they're longing for. I'm not the guy, I just know the guy. You're not going to have your best life here, and that's okay, because in Christ, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can have great joy, no matter what pandemic comes, no matter who gets elected. You, as a follower of Jesus, can have great joy. Jesus, when he was on this earth, John, his good friend and apostle and close follower, best friend, the guy who at dinner would put his head on Jesus's chest. That guy was like, Jesus said that he, he had come that you might experience life to the full. Other translations say that you might have complete joy. If that does not describe the way you feel, can I call you back to that place where you look up and know that you're just a creature, but that you have a creator that loves you, cares for you, and wants to be with you, and commune with you, and abide in you, and you in him, and life can be different today. And so James, in the midst of his own difficult circumstances, his church has scattered all over the place. He can't see them. Sound familiar? He didn't have cameras either. He didn't have YouTube. <laughs> 
they're scattered. And so he's writing these people that he loves a letter. He's their pastor. He loves them. He cares for them. He wants what's best for them in the middle of persecution, real persecution, not put a mask on persecution. I'm going to kill you persecution. Okay. That's that's where they're at. And so James is writing to them, suggesting audaciously that in the midst of what they're going through, they just lost their home. They just moved. They're being persecuted for their faith. This is not turning out to be an awesome time for them. James is suggesting that they can have great joy in the middle of all of that. So what am I going to suggest to you today? Today, you can have great joy in the midst of whatever you're dealing with right now. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you five strategies for when life is hard. Not my ideas. They're going to come straight from this text. Five strategies for when life is hard. And then I want to take communion with you today. So human flourishing, joy, the good life is not circumstantial, according to James, but it's relational. So if you want to draw a little picture in your notes, there's this triangle of God, self, and others. And we need all of that to be flowing in order, up, in, out, all flowing in order to truly flourish in this life. But there's this pesky thing that comes along called trials and testing and the difficulties of life. So what do I do when life is not what I hoped it would be? What do I do? Five strategies. Number one, if you're taking notes, celebrate the reason behind your trials. Another aspect of Christianity that is different from every other religion and every other self-help thing out there is that there's purpose in your pain. That, that there is purpose in your pain. Celebrate the reason behind your trial. Look at verse 2. Consider it a great joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Why? Because you know. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There is a reason behind what you have walked through. It's going to build your faith, your endurance, so that when the time comes for somebody else to walk through that, you're going to be able to make a difference in their life because you can say, I've been there. I've done that. And if I was to walk through and talk to every single one of you, you've walked through things that I have not walked through so that you might make a difference in a life that I'll never make a difference in and vice versa. Your struggles are never wasted in the economy that God is building. Celebrate the reason behind your trial. Number two, remind yourself of God's promise. Remind yourself of that promise in verse three. You, you can know, you can know that there's a reason for it. And then look at verse four. Let endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature And complete, lacking nothing. That if you will abide in Christ in the midst of your difficulty, you will get to the place because of him that you lack nothing. Have you ever wondered why people all across the world in every decade, every century, every time of life 
could give their life. One of the one of the one of the ones that I think about pretty frequently is it's probably four or five years ago now, but there were some Coptic Christians on the beach in Egypt and they were all beheaded on camera. Not one of them willing to deny their faith in Jesus. And you just think, how how do you get to that spot? How do you get to that place where 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 you would have complete joy, that you'd be lacking nothing, that you could be kneeling on a beach at the hands of your killers, praising God, not needing to save your own life, knowing that God has already saved you. How do you get to that place? James is telling us. Remember God's promise. Remember God's promise to you. What's the result of that? Number three, talk to God. Don't you just love the simplicity of verse five? If you lack wisdom for whatever you're facing, what does it tell you to do? Talk to God. Why, why is it that prayer is often our last resort? Prayer ought to be our first response. Amen. At the forefront of what we do, talk to him. Verse five, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Why? Because he gives to everyone generously. He, he has answers and he'll give you answers. And he wants to. But ask in faith. Ask in faith knowing that he'll answer. Talk to God knowing that he has an answer for you. Now listen, you might not like the answer. And that's a different sermon for a different day. But he'll answer. Talk to him. Number four. This might be my favorite part of the whole thing. Look at verse nine. Says, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Number four, what's number four? Believe that it's good to be small. Most of us don't believe that. We think fame, fortune, more followers, more platform, more this, more that is actually the way to go and that you'll be happy when you get there. And every one of us know that that's not real, that that's not true. We've seen it time and time again. Believe that it's good to be small and rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Look at verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. And he goes, I said, because you're going you're gonna to pass away in this life. That pretty flower is going to fade. All those followers aren't going to go with you. All, those, all that fame is going to die. And by the way, the first time you mess up, you're going to be famous for a different reason. Fleeting lies of the devil. Believe that it's good to be small. Just go stand at the foot of the ocean as the sun goes down and rest in the fact that you are small. Walk outside in a thunderstorm and just be glad that you're small and rejoice in God. And then number five, Meditate on the reward. Don't you love that? That in God's economy, there's a blessing waiting for you at the end of that. At the end of that difficulty, there's a blessing waiting for God's kids that he loves. Look at verse 12. Just by way of reminder, blessed is the one who endures trials. Blessed. This isn't prosperity teaching or anything like that. It's straight from the Bible that if you will endure the testing that God is allowing to come your way, He will bless you. He will bless you. 
Because when you've stood the test, you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Man, we can chase the blessings of the world right now. Or we can chase the promises of God. With the help of God. I don't know where you're at today, but can I just encourage you? No matter what is happening, if you've been going in the other direction, can, that's what repentance is, by the way. It just means to stop what you're doing, to turn around and go the other way. That's repentance. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't about calling you on the carpet for what's wrong. This is about setting you with the right trajectory toward the one who loves you, cares for you, gave his life for you, and wants to work through you. You have a purpose in this life. Why do we do growth track? Because we want you to learn a little bit about our church, but more importantly, learn about our God and how he's wired you, that you might go make a difference in this world, not because you have to, but because you get to. That's why you should sign up for growth track on October 14th. I'll see you in the back to sign up right after service. Amen. Right. Because we can do this together as the people of God and make a difference in our city. So when life is hard, we embody the vision and mission of Christ. We experience good news when we look to him and what he's done. So I'm going to have the